And so today we're continuing in our series on Masterclass, and I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Here's what it says. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you as most important for what, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Thank you, Peggy. Will you pray with me? Father, I am grateful for mornings where we get to gather together as the collective, as the large family, but God, also knowing that other people are gathering. God, we just come today to worship you, to glorify you, to just see how you are at work, not just in our life, but in the lives of others. God, as we uh, hear Kyle speak today, as we sing some songs, as we chat with others, God, just allow us to see you and how you are moving. Father, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome back to Masterclass. Uh, I've really enjoyed this series overall. I feel like I've been learning as much in it in my study time with God. And I just get to share a portion of that with you each and every week. In fact, I actually called an audible this week a little bit. Originally, I was supposed to cover 28 verses. And we would have been here at that rate till... 4 p.m. or something like that if I would have decided to do that. Because as I was getting into it, I realized specifically in chapter 15, there is so much depth. And so that's right. We've made our way to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about eight or nine months later. And it's not quite the end of the book, but Paul covers a lot in this chapter. It's 58 verses in total alone in this chapter. In fact, it's the most foundational aspects in all of life that are found in this chapter. It deals with heaven and hell and the fate of everyone who ever lived. It undergirds, undergirds basically everything you do with your life. There was a philosopher named Robert Kamau, and he talked about the idea that if you had been on trial and knew that you were going to be killed, you're going to get the death penalty. And the sentence comes down, and they said, okay, you're going to be killed in about half an hour. But what do you really like in life? And you maybe say, oh, I, I like a certain type of music by this artist. And the guards or the people who's executing the sentence come back with, okay, uh, we'll put that album on for you. They go get the album. They put it on. And you wonder and then ask, why are you doing this? The guard or whoever says, I want you to enjoy the last half hour. What Kamau and other philosophers have said is that you likely wouldn't enjoy that music as much. And you wouldn't enjoy the half hour because at the end of it, you knew you were going to die. The moment, the art, the movement would be lost because you were consumed no matter what, within the next 30 minutes, life was coming to an end. 
Kamal said, look, that's reality. That's actually all of life. We know we are all going to die, and it ruins all of life for us. And unless we can understand a bigger story going on in the world or a bigger picture, we will have life ruined for us. Think about life, the things we chase after, the things we try to satisfy our soul with, the things we grasp for that we can't quite have, the, the things, the people that maybe we even seek approval over. It's all trying to satisfy something temporary. Ernest Becker, who was a philosopher, said this, all the analysis in the world doesn't allow the person to find out who he is, why he is here, and why he has to die, and how he can make his life a triumph. It is when psychology pretends to be able to answer this, and when it offers itself as a full explanation of human unhappiness, that it becomes a fraud. And it makes the situation of modern man at an impasse from which he cannot escape. Look at this reality. All of life, we know we are going to die. And if we take that in full view, it ruins life for all of us. Here's what the Apostle Paul is about to end the book of 1 Corinthians with. Saying that you need a biblical worldview to be able to understand why you are here, why you die, and what happens when you die, and what is the fate of everyone who ever lived, and what is it all based on. And if we do not have something to base this on, other than the whimsical, well-intentioned thoughts of people, then life and everything in it becomes meaningless. Unless you have in your heart and in your mind what Paul unpacks within this chapter. See, what Paul unpacks in this chapter, it changes how you live. It changes how you die. How you are married, how you spend money, your sex life, your work life. Paul is about to explain how does the eternal life happen. That it doesn't just start in eternity, but it actually makes a difference today. And what eternal life will actually be. It will be life with Jesus. A risen life with Jesus that we cannot even imagine. Take away all that faulty idea that you have in your mind about heaven. Remove the ideas of these disembodied people floating around in white robes on clouds, maybe wings attached or not or halos. But oftentimes when we think of heaven, that is the picture that we have been sold. Take away those ideas because you're going to begin to realize that you really can't get excited about that version of heaven. Maybe you've been told that all you're going to do is sing morning, noon, and night and eternity. That's all you will spend your time doing. And we've, we, we've heard stories and we've been fed things that say that is what life is going to be like. A pie in the sky. No life in the sky. Where maybe we remember our relatives or maybe we don't. Maybe our pits are there, or maybe they're not. And we have all of these voices that paint us a picture that we really can't get excited about. And the reason is because you were not made to be in disembodied spirit. 
floating around in heaven. You were made to be physical, trying to get an appetite to be some disembodied spirit floating around on the clouds in the air is like trying to get an appetite for sand. It's not the way you were designed. Apparently, you guys didn't think that was funny as I thought that was funny. (laughs) I got a few pity laughs. There we go. Oh, man. It's that kind of morning, guys. You know, we're just, we're just hanging out. Hey, it is. Um, what God has done is that he has woven together a story in which he restores and redeems humankind in such a way that there's actually re-physicality. There is a new heaven and a new earth with God and with others. But in order to experience that, you have to understand who Jesus is and what he has done. See, it always comes back to who God is, what he has done for us through Jesus, which speaks to who we are. And then we can respond and live out of that reality. In chapter 15, verse 1, Paul writes to this Corinthian church that's all kinds of jacked up. They've misapplied the truth that he's about to just lay on thick. And he starts with, now I remind you, brothers. See, here's the context. He's just come out of a long section on the gathering and gifting of the church and how the church, how we need each other, how we can support each other, how how we get to be God's alternative to the world within the world so that we can point to a wholeness and brokenness while we still are here physically, while we await the eternal hope of the new heaven and new earth. But this church has a skewed interpretation of eternity being fully present because of their gifting. And the result is a faulty understanding of the body and where they stand on the eternal timeline. And he must remind them that while they experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in power, that the end has not yet come. But we are like this too. We always are moving forward to what's next. Something good happens, and we can't wait to chase that next experience. We received a good gift, and we're already looking forward to the next one. You receive a compliment, and it's like, man, that felt really good. So when's the next one coming? I know you constantly want the, problem, the next problem to be solved, or at least I do. But we need to remember and re-remember what God has done in Jesus in order to move forward well. Paul says that you, as he writes to the church, need to remember God's provision. And in the midst of the pressure and the chaos of the world, you and I need to be reminded of who he is. In your present situation, you and I need to be reminded because we drift from it. We get caught up with the latest news cycle. We get caught up with the latest chaos or or issue or, or thing that we need to solve or have our commentary on. And Paul says, yeah, you're going to hear and see and experience all that, but you need to be reminded. And I am here to remind you of the gospel. This word gospel is sometimes tossed around in church circles, but it means good news. 
And Paul says, I have come to proclaim or to preach. Now the word here in to proclaim or to preach here is, is the word caruso. It's like a town herald or crier. Someone who stands up and shares. There is breaking news because they didn't have a 24-hour news cycle or a computer in their pocket we call a phone. So there was someone who would hear news, get delivered, and they would stand up in the town square and say, there is something that has happened. And so in today's world, as we think about the news, we have hard news, like there is a war going on, and then we have soft news that most of the notifications on your phone are like. Soft news, passive. There's, there's things, someone liked a photo on Instagram. Someone commented on your Facebook post. Or maybe even you're scrolling and seeing articles, six ways to be more productive, which I tend to like those articles. Or three steps to have a better dating life. We see things, you know, the newest fashion trends or commentary on why Gen Z fashion is better than millennial fashion and you know you're old if you're still wearing this style of clothes and we go that that's not really news that's kind of this soft news but in ancient times there would be this herald who would come into town and proclaim hard news and Paul is saying that his job is to come to the Corinthians and give them hard news but it's good and beautiful news based on an event that has happened in history. And we need to hear this news as an announcement that something has happened within history which should change how we live. The challenge is, is because of the way we live our lives and the way in which we operate it, we treat the announcement that Jesus is Savior and Lord, that God has stepped out of heaven in the person of Jesus and shown us what it's like to be truly human, that, that his will and his way is breaking into the world to show us a foretaste of that eternal reality. We treat that more like a notification on our phone than we do as an event in history that we should change and adapt our life around. And we need to be reminded of this too because too often we just get used to it and we slip into passivity. And we need to remember, even in the church, that the news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and return should be heard and felt. It is about God and about his movement towards us. And we think we can get sometimes like these pithy little statements from the preacher that will help us feel better about ourselves and our situation. My goal is not to make you feel better about yourself. I'm sorry. I know some of you are actually going through a lot. Some of you have heartbreak. Some of you have trauma. And my goal in sharing this news is not to make you feel worse about yourself, but to share a news that drastically changes how you perceive those realities and know, let you know that when people let you down, when all hope is lost, when the score seems too bleak to come back from, that there is someone, there is a living God who has moved on your behalf because he sees you fully and loves you totally and completely and has not forgotten about you. 
And he proved that in Jesus, which is a real moment in history. It's not fake news. It's not something that we just make up to try to feel better about ourselves. To live this fanciful life that if we can just think a little bit, just be a little bit more happy or a little bit more optimistic, then we'll be able to make it through another day. The news of Jesus as Savior and Lord is so truthful and radical to know that the living God, the one who created everything, is sitting here as father and judge who loves you completely, has done something to help you out of that pit, to bring about change, to lead you to water when you are thirsty. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, it's not my job my, uh, to just give you something that makes you feel better. It's my role to give you the hard news and then adjust your life accordingly. It's the news that you live in a matrix and there's a whole other world out there. And unless you wake up, you'll go on believing the lies that all there is in this world is this world. Therefore, you have to make the most of your moments, your money, and more. And so my role is to help proclaim the word of God, to, to, to share that news and allow the Holy Spirit to bring, be the one to bring you comfort when I share that news. I'm a weatherman, and I'm doing my best to teach and preach the Bible. I'm telling you, rain is coming. Which here, it's not too much of a prophecy in the Northwest. <laughs> the problem with the modern world is that we don't take this news like news. We think we can change it. We think we can adapt it. And if the news is hard, then we can treat it as fake news. My only job is to get up and metaphorically say there's been an accident on I-5. Find another way. And even if you don't like my tone at times, which I do need to work on, the goal is to find another route. Adjust your life in, what I, in light of what I have said about the person and work of Jesus. And we are inundated with notifications that tell, nay, sell us a lesser worldview. That we can think positive thoughts and just make everything better. That we, that we can recluse to a vacation. And then when we step back into our environment, it will magically be better. That if we just get enough sleep and wake up, then we'll have enough energy to face that next challenge. And sometimes you do need more sleep. But honestly, at the end of the day, sometimes you need to trust in the person and work of Jesus to give you precisely what you need and adjust and respond accordingly. Paul's going to give us some, a contrary message. That the answers your soul, soul long for are found in Jesus and responding into that person and work. And if Christ died and rose again, then there are ways to deal with things like your anxiety. There are ways to deal with your kids. There are ways to deal with the difficulty of life. And it's not going to be positive thinking or just the right coping mechanism. Go hide out on that vacation until everything gets better. That's escapism. Jesus rose from the dead, meaning we have to do life differently. And many wonder why I would want to work, for example, for another company. 
and not just stay working as a full-time pastor. And I could not settle in my soul that Jesus put on flesh and walked among us. If I wanted so desperately to see the spiritual temperature and condition of our community change, then I cannot go sit in my corner office and hope that someone would encounter the living God. No, I needed to get out and be amongst the people and do my best to live differently amongst others. And that's when my boss at Fisher Investments publicly praises someone else in a team meeting that I can celebrate that success and not go talk behind their back and figure out how do I one-up them next time. It's to take my faith, the truth that Jesus came, he, he lived, he died, and he rose again, and I have an eternal hope that he is coming back, and I'm attached to him, that in any and every situation... When my boss is frustrating, when my coworkers are frustrating, when it seems like things are out of control, that I know the God who is in control and I am attached and rooted in him because he moved purposely for me in Jesus. And I don't say that as a personal look at me. I say this, you can have access to this too. The gospel is not a promise of prosperity. Jesus rose from the dead. So therefore, I will find instant success. No, here's what Paul will unpack in the next 58 verses. If the resurrection is true, then you and me are not saved from dying. We're not saved from difficulty. We're safe in dying. We're safe in difficulty. We have an assurance and a confidence that allows us to endure because he endured. And when he died, that wasn't the end. He came back to life. So that's how we know we are safe in him. It's because we look to that truth. So if all of life is simply about just getting the right advice and trying the right things, if life is all about you thinking positively, all that there is is temporal solutions to temporal problems, and Paul is, is asking and providing answers to a far vaster, greater question than your just next year's 60 years. He's asking the question about your next 60 million. And Paul says, which you received on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. This is active. It's not just something that you did once. I, I, I really, I liked how Josh set that up. He's like, hey, I made this decision then, but, but I'm continually changing. I'm continually growing out of this. There, there's things that I'm still learning and responding. There's an active participation because faith in Christ came to him. It has come to you. It has come to me. And it's saying you can then respond that you have been saved from the penalty of sin, that you are being saved from the power of sin, and we will be saved from the presence of sin one day. Meaning, for as a follower of Jesus, you do not have to sin. You do not have to take life into your own control and own power and own strength. You can surrender and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to fill in the gaps. Through the Holy Spirit, you have been given the ability to take thoughts captive and choose different rather than be on autopilot. So often we want to just hop in our cars and hit that cruise control and just go. And we go through life oftentimes with that mentality. But God calls us and invites us to be in active participation with the Holy Spirit as they're active in our life so that when we have a thought that we should be passive aggressive or we should say a snide comment, whether it's subconscious or conscious, that we can take that thought captive and choose differently, that we can choose an act of love that communicates the same love that God has had first for us. See, with the power of the Holy Spirit, 
or I should say without the power of the Holy Spirit, you can try to manage your sin. You can try and hide it. You can try to manipulate your life, but you will never be able to say no to it. And that is why we need faith in Jesus. That's why we need to be baptized into him. It's so that you don't have to do it on your own. You can do it with God, with others, for God, and for others. And then Paul introduces a major word. He says, if, if you hold fast. Well, you can win the lottery if you do this one thing. Wait, hold on. I thought I just had to repeat a few words. Wait, I thought I just had to attend church. Wait, I thought I just had to, to serve. Wait, I thought I just had uh, to, to go and get dunked. Wait, I just thought if, if I just did this and then this and then this, then I would be good. You know, if I, whenever I did something bad, I kind of apologized. And, you know, if I, if I just try to be a good person, and that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul's saying you experience the power of salvation in your life if you hold fast to the message, to the word that has been brought to you. You are choosing to commit yourself to something that transcends how you may feel in any given moment. That you can bring your full thoughts, your full, your full feelings to bear. And in the midst of that, God meets you there and reminds you that he did not run away when it got difficult. That he did not stay distant in heaven. But he chose to live a life to reconcile us back to him. And we must hold fast to the word. To that message, to that truth, to that promise. Not to your spouse so that they can hold to the word. Not to your pastor so that he can hold to the word. Not to your friend. You must hold to that word. You don't get that faith from holding and clinging to someone else so that then if they're good, then I'm good. You have to make it personal. Will you hold fast? It's so easy to start something. We've all been to those weddings. We've all made that pledge at the start of a new year where we're th everyone's all excited to start something. But then we know it's really hard to finish. But here's the good news today is while we don't often finish, while we fail and we flail with commandments such as love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. We fail at those. We know that the word will erode us. It will tell you that it's, it's not worth it. I mean, if you have heard anything about how Navy SEALs are trained during Hell Week and how they try to break them down, you see that they can hold fast and make it to the end. If you notice, if you know anything about that, if you don't, I'll tell you, it, it, it's, they go through all this physical training, and then they get to the, one of these last weeks, these Hell Weeks. And what they do is, is if you watch and you hear about it, is there aren't really much physical training left. They're already physically fit. The question isn't physical, it's mental. Wouldn't it feel so good just to throw in the towel? And cold water, go home to a nice warm bed. Eat some good food. Kick up your feet and just relax. Be warm, safe, comfortable. And while those aren't bad things maybe to want, 
The enemy will whisper those things to get you to choose selfishness over selflessness. And if we believe the good news of Jesus and how he was selfless, how according to the scriptures, he lived, he died, he was buried, and rose again. We can hold fast to that promise and not let the world try to erode us. And how you get through the difficulty, the chaos, the mind games is holding fast to that bigger picture, to the eternal story that God has written. It's of first importance. We never move on from it. Well, we can talk about other passages of Scripture. Well, we can, we can analyze your life and maybe consider what it's like to, to apply these texts. We never move on from the gospel. It has endless application. It's because of Jesus. That's why when we say in our vision, our why, why we exist, we could throw a million Easter egg parties, we, we could do block parties, we could bless all kinds of people, we could serve people, we could build a really big building, we could do incredible music, but at the end of the day, if we are doing it for ourselves and pointing the spotlight on us, then we have completely missed the boat. It's because of Jesus that we're able to live, serve, love, follow, sacrifice, be gracious. See, what matters about words is what you fill them with. I loathe a lot, not all, but a lot of modern worship songs because it makes us more about us than about him or even some generic God. You may meet someone and go, oh, great, I got my friend to believe in God, but what do they mean about God? Christianity believes that you take a word and you have to fill it with meaning. And over the next couple of weeks, we will continue to get into my favorite topic, the resurrection. And I really can't wait. Because without the resurrection, Jesus was just another dude killed on a cross by the Romans. They killed thousands of them. Paul had to rethink his whole life around the resurrection of Jesus. In doing so, he had to re-understand re God through his experience with Jesus. There's a hymn that's titled, He Will Hold Me Fast. See, when we fail and when we flail, when we lose our grip, he has not lost his grip on us. He will hold us fast because of the finished work of Jesus ha has been finished for you. But it's not finished in you until the weakness of your heart moves from drudgery to delight. When church is more than something you attend to check it off your list, when it's more than something you attend to feel good about yourself, when, it, when, when participation in the life of the church, when you realize that you don't just get a church family, but you actually get God because of Jesus, when you delight in your heart that the creator of the universe knows you and loves you and that's delightful to you, that's, that's what it's about. And Jesus' commitment was delight in his Father and delight in you so that he lived and died and he reverses the course of your life. Chances are you long to hear a message. Maybe it's that you're good or that you're competent or you are loved or valued or you're heard or you can be content. 
or you can be cold, or, or there can be peace, or maybe you're even competent. I'm never going to be able to be as optimistic as that Instagram post or as therapeutic as you need. But Jesus will. He sees you. He knows the word that you need and says, I've done that for you. I, I've lived my life in such a way to fulfill that reality. And if you hold fast to what Jesus has done in history, it will be precisely what you need when you need it. The band can go ahead and start coming up. I'm almost. If you hold fast to what Jesus has done in history, it'll be precisely what you need when you need it. Then you won't have to withdraw. You won't have to manipulate. You won't have to bully. You won't even have to have all the answers. Those are active steps to stop the process of dying. You can't short circuit the process of dying. But you can be safe in the midst of dying. And Jesus offers that safety and security found only in him. And there must be an active treasuring of that truth, which leads to filtering everything through that news. You either alter your life based on that news, that there's a crash in the street, that rain is coming, that at the end of the day, you are loved, you're not alone, you haven't been forgotten, and your story does matter because it's a part and invited to be a part of the big, wonderful story that God brings to a climax in Jesus.